going to have, uh, we're going to deal with an obstacle to encountering the presence of God. And uh, so there it is, Chris. You were wondering if it would happen. So uh, our first, the obstacle we're going to cover today uh, is uh, this obstacle, is that an obstacle for us encountering the presence of God is that we have an overcommitment to our own expectations. We have an overcommitment to our ideals. So we think God should show up like this. And when God doesn't show up according to our expectations, right, then often we just simply miss him because he's not fitting into what we've predetermined that we want God to, to fit into. So we create an ideal and we set our expectations and normally, our expectations have some ring of truth, and we're going to see a story today out of John chapter 1 where, where Nathaniel's expectations had a, had a ring of truth. Uh, but hap what happens is we get into a situation, we find that God is not showing up according to our expectations, and then we miss God, and then we're frustrated with God for not being present with us. So... I think this is precisely the obstacle that Nathaniel had to deal with in encountering King Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, I have it uh, here on the screen. You can follow along, but in your Bibles, you can write some notes down or take notes on your, on your bulletin. So John 1 starts very profound. It starts with the awesomeness of God. It's a bold pronouncement of who Jesus is. You remember, uh, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Like that's, a, that's the start of this gospel uh, of John announcing who Jesus is, of Jesus uh, being God, coming to earth so that God can be with man and man can be with God. Like John lays that out in the first couple of verses of his gospel. And then he establishes for us this theme that's called the, the witness theme. And the witness theme is this, that there's a pattern of people that meet God, right? They interact with, with Jesus. They get to know what the Father is like. They encounter him, and then they, they want to share it. They want to they wanna tell people about it. They want to bear witness to what it is that they have, they've experienced, that they've encountered. So the first person that does that is um, the first person that does that is John the Baptist. John the Baptist encounters Jesus. He has a group of disciples, and he says, behold, the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and two of his disciples uh, hear that, and they identify with Jesus. Andrew is one of them. So Andrew hears that Jesus is the Lamb of God, so what does he do? He hears that witness testimony. Hey, I wanna encounter this guy. He goes, he gets to know Jesus he gets to find out where Jesus is staying. Jesus invites him to come and to follow him. So that's verse 35. And then in verse 41, Andrew goes and tells his brother Peter, right? And we found the Messiah. Now there's another thing. And so behold the Lamb of God. Now he's saying, I want you to know I found the Messiah. Now Peter comes and, and Peter now starts to, to follow Jesus. So there's this crescendo that is building about these people that are seeing Jesus, getting to know Jesus, and so we pick up the story here in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee, and he finds this guy, Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me, right? So, so now he's invited Philip. He's on his way to Galilee. He's invited Philip to follow him. 
And most likely Philip is acquainted with Peter and Andrew because we find out that they're from the same town of Bethsaida. So, uh, so then Philip is now following Jesus. Well, to what's consistent with the witness theme is what's, uh, what is Philip gonna do? Well, he's met Jesus, so now he's gonna bear witness. He's gonna go talk to somebody else. So who does he go talk to? He goes and talks to this guy named Nathaniel. Uh, so he goes to Nathaniel. Uh, so Philip goes and he finds him. Uh, and he says something to him. He's going to now bear witness. And he doesn't say what John had said about behold the Lamb of God. Uh, he doesn't say what Andrew said about I have found the Messiah. Uh, but he says something different. He says to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law uh, and also the prophets wrote. And it's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So in verse 45, you see Philip told Nathanael and he told him that he had found Jesus and, he, and, and this person he has found, he allies Jesus, he allies Jesus with two other authorities, right? Which would be Moses and the law as well as the prophets, right? So he's saying, listen, Nathanael, I know that those are a big deal for you, the, what, what it says in the law and what it says in the prophets. And so uh, this guy is in line with what they've said. They bear witness of of this guy that I've met. And then he also tells Nathaniel uh, Jesus's pedigree, that he's from Nazareth and he's the son of Joseph. And so the, in these words, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, Philip provides exactly the kind of information that positively would identify a, a first century Palestinian man, right? The name of his village, the name of his father. And so what he does is he's now laying the groundwork for Nathaniel to come to a conclusion about who Jesus is, right? He hasn't told him who Jesus is yet, right? He's just simply said, okay, Nathaniel, here's the information, right? The, the Moses, the law, the prophets, uh, this is where he's from, right? I'm giving you this information. You, you, you've got to make a determination about this guy. And so in verse 46, now we encounter Nathaniel's obstacle, right, to experiencing Jesus. And his obstacle is this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of, of this particular town? And we find out that, that what Jesus calls him later on is he's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. So, so, so uh, Nathaniel represents the, the people. And so the expectation would be, from Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Like, you're telling me this guy might be the Messiah? This is who we've been waiting for? Can anything good come from there? Do you see that Nathaniel had a certain set of expectations of this is what Jesus is supposed to be like? And you're telling me he's from Nazareth? He's the son of, of Joseph? Right, that doesn't, that doesn't fit my ideal. That doesn't fit my expectation. Now, this could indicate a couple of things. One is it could indicate that Nathaniel was, uh, he was prejudiced, right? Like he didn't, he didn't like the people from that area. The people from Nazareth, they were kind of, you know, they were, they were kind of rednecks from the, you know, from, from the backwoods and, you know, they, they have a strange accent and they're not known to be very intellectual. And, you know, I, I, I can't really trust that anything good is gonna come out of there. That's probably part of it. 
Another, another piece of the puzzle uh, is similar to what Herod's advisors said when they were looking for the Messiah. They had read the prophets, they had read Micah, and they knew that in Micah 2 it said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So, so what good is somebody coming from Nazareth if the one we're looking for is coming from Bethlehem? And you can see that Jesus is not fitting into the mold of Nathaniel's expectations. Nathaniel said, this is... This is, this is where the Messiah is to come from. This is the one that I'm going to give my allegiance to is supposed to come from, from here. This guy's coming in this direction. Can't be the right guy. So, so he has this prejudice, and which I got to point out. I mean, this is a fantastic answer. Look, how does Philip answer, uh, how does Philip answer the prejudice of uh, Nathaniel? He tells him to come and see. It's a powerful invitation. Come and see. This is mimicking the very words uh, that John uh, and Andrew, or that John had communicated to Andrew about seeing Jesus, or what Jesus had said specifically to Andrew, right? Come and see. But uh, this often is the way we get over our prejudice. We get over our prejudice by come and see. We, we, think, we think little of a person, we, let's come and see. Let's get to know them as a person. Let's get to know them as an individual, right? Let's get to, let, let's get to hear their story. And often, as we get to know someone's story, those walls of prejudice start coming down because we're interacting with a life, with a person. So that's exactly that's exactly what Philip invites Nathaniel to do, is to come and see. Come check Jesus out. Get to know him. So, so while Nathaniel was invited to see Jesus, we don't really know his response because he never is able to fulfill the charge of, um, uh, of Philip because it says Jesus then saw Nathaniel. So Jesus identifies Nathanael. So while Nathanael was invited to see Jesus, it was Jesus who first saw him. And when Jesus saw Nathanael, he saw him for who he was. And he declared that he was uh, an Israelite in whom there's, there's no deceit, there's no guile. This guy was, this guy was uh, uh, he was sincere uh, as a first century Jewish man waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And so Jesus had seen him, and he had declared who he was. And apparently, in verse 48, we see that Nathanael agreed, right? So Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? You got, you got it exactly right. That's me, Jesus, right? So Jesus has this ability to look, and he knows, he knows Nathanael. He knows him. It's similar to what Jesus just encountered with Peter, where he knew things about Peter. He knew who they were. He knew what they would become. And so Nathaniel accepts Jesus' description of him, and then he asked Jesus, how, how did you know me? And so Jesus said, well, I knew you before. I saw you. I saw you under the fig tree. What Jesus does here is he gives Nathaniel a sign. He gives him an indication that there's something supernatural going on. 
Now, there's been speculation about, well, what was happening under the fig tree? Did he feel guilty about, you know, those bad kids? You don't, don't hang out with those kids that are under the fig tree because they're always in trouble, right? It wasn't anything like that. It was that Jesus knew him. He saw him. And in that moment, what he's telling Nathaniel is that you see me at this plane. You see me as just this kind of backwoods guy from Nazareth, right? But I'm indicating to you that there's more to me than you realize, Right, So he gives him a sign of the supernatural power of Jesus, and he says, I saw you. He saw Nathanael. So this was a sign. And here's what happened then for Nathanael. Right? Nathanael was humbled. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He answers well. And what we see is that the anecdote to our idealized expectations, right? The anecdote to that, the antidote to that is humility, right? So what happens is Nathaniel saw Jesus here. Jesus indicated just a little taste of his supernatural power. Now in Nathaniel's eyes, Jesus goes here and he humbles himself before the power of Jesus. So humility so remember how we said, what is, a, what is a practice that deals with the obstacles that we're gonna face? Well, an obstacle that we're gonna face is we have certain expectations of the way Jesus is going to come. And what humility will call us to do is hold those expectations loosely. Because I guarantee in your life, right, there's gonna be circumstances and you say, Jesus, I'm God, I want you to come in this way. I want you to show up in this way. And he doesn't. And we cling tightly to those expectations. But, but Jesus, you, you, you promised me or you said this. And, and Jesus, you, like, I, I know the way this is supposed to go. And we demand of God to be God on our terms. Instead of us saying, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna cry out to you and I have expectations of, of your rescue, of your deliverance, but how you're gonna work that out, when you're gonna work that out, I don't know because I'm not the God in this scenario. So I hold those loosely in humility. So those who are gonna be serving communion, I wanna invite you to get in position to be ready to serve communion. And so before we move on to the next point of this teaching, I want to pause on this one and come to Jesus at his table. Because Jesus' table is where we must come humbly. This is not a table where I assert my plans or my expectations. Hmm. This is not a table where Jesus is asserting his plans or expectations. Remember the garden? Right? What did Jesus come to? If there's any way God... Right? He didn't cling to his ideal of the way that rescue could come. He said, God, if there's any way to let this cup of suffering pass, please. But then his resolution was not my will, but yours be done, which led to the cross. So when we come to the, when we come to the, the Lord's table, which celebrates his death on the cross, we don't come asserting our plans, our expectations, for how God needs to enter our world. His table is a place for a great exchange. 
And here's what it is that we exchange. We surrender to him our ideals. We surrender to him our plans, our strategies to make our life work. We surrender to him how our life ought to be run. We surrender to him what we believe to be the best path forward. We offer them up to him and we say to him, not my will, but yours be done. And so we offer, so we, so we intentionally lower ourselves. We humble ourselves before him. It's a place of, it's a place of great exchange. What we're doing is we are uniting ourselves with his death. We unite ourselves with a death like his. We take the bread and we're gonna take that into ourselves. We're going to, we're gonna eat the bread. We're gonna drink the cup. We completely identify with the symbols that represent his broken body, that represent his death. And so how do we unite with his death? We are dying to our agenda. We are humbling ourselves before him. Then we also take the cup. The cup is the new covenant in his blood, a new way for us to be found in God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the new covenant in his blood. He purifies us so that we can share with him. He makes us whole so we can commune with God. So here's what happens. The great exchange is this. We give up ourselves, we give up our agenda, we die to them so that we can embrace his agenda, which is to unite us back home with the Father. Amen. So we can enjoy fellowship once again with God. Romans 6, 5 says this. For with, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So your humility is an active dying to a grip on your own expectations for how God ought to show up in your world. You're releasing that. And in so doing, you are coming alive, resurrected to his plans and his purposes for you. Just like Peter and just like Nathaniel, he sees you. He sees you. He sees the things that you cling to to make life work. He sees you. And he's offering for you to come to him and lay those things down so that he can give you life. So we come. And you're going to take the the host, the bread, you're gonna take the cup. Those things are representations of what it means for us to be alive in the kingdom of God, alive in the presence of God. Children, I wanna say this clearly, this isn't snack time. This isn't a little break to get a little snack. That's not what this is. This is a time for us to identify ourselves as united with God through the body and blood of King Jesus. 
So parents, if you haven't, um, if you haven't prepared your children for taking communion, I would recommend that they don't take communion this morning. We have resources available for you to be able to do that in preparation uh, for, for next month. Uh, but parents, you can lead your children through this. I wanna say this though, guests, you're welcome to join us. You do not need to be a member of Living Faith Alliance Church. You don't need to be a member of the Alliance Church at all. But if you come humbly before King Jesus, you're welcome at his table. Maybe this is the first time for you to say, you know what? There's something about this Jesus I want to pursue him. I want to say no to my agenda for life. I want to die to that. That's not working. That leads to death. I want to die to that so that I can be alive in him. And this could be an expression of that faith, that saving faith that rescues you. This can be an outward sign of that inward faith as you come and take at the Lord's table. So I invite you when you're ready, you come on up, you make your way to one of the, one of the stations here uh, and you can uh, receive communion. You can take your time, we're not in a rush here, uh, but you can come up and in a few minutes the team is gonna lead you. But I ask that in your mind, the thought here is as I come to the Lord, I'm, I'm releasing my agenda, I am dying to self, I'm embracing the elements that are